Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 3rd of February 2020 and this is episode 146. On today's programme, I talk to Catherine White, a PhD student at Pembroke College at the University of Oxford, about her doctoral research into religion and the YMCA during the First World War. I spoke to Catherine over the interweb from her office in Oxford. Catherine, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us um, how you became interested in the YMCA during the Great War and what your research examines? Thank you. Uh Yes, I first got interested in the YMCA during the First World War um, when I was doing my Master's in History of Warfare at the University of Birmingham. I was already working on religion during the First World War and it a really interesting area. And I came across the YMCA archive, which is held at Birmingham, um, and discovered the extent of the work there that very few people have actually looked into or explored. So I sort of dived into that, found so much stuff that I couldn't possibly cover just during my Master's, and so decided to do a PhD looking at the YMCA um, but also how their work connected with soldiers um, and general ideas of social religion to how social work and religion work together to benefit soldiers during the First World War. And why do you think this area of research is important to investigate? I've come across a number of mentions of YMCA in lots of historians' work, but none of them actually look at the organisation itself um, or focus on what they were doing. So I think my research sort of fills a gap between lots of other people's. And also in reading soldiers' letters, so many of them write on YMCA letterheaded paper or mention that they've gone for a cup of tea or to a concert at YMCA, that it is an organisation that touched the lives of so many soldiers um, that I think it's a really important area to look at, something that isn't necessarily com- uh, connected with soldiers' lives in battle, but is an important part of when they were away from the trenches or out of the front line. Before we go any further, can you give us some background on what the Young's Men's Christian Association was, when it was founded, its aims, and what was it, what were its activities before? the Great War. It was founded by George Williams in London on the 6th of June 1844 and it had a sister organisation which started in America in 1855. A lot of people think the American one came first but it is a British organisation primarily that worked in the initial years just in the cities and the urban centres of Britain supporting working class men providing them hostels, recreation, physical education. Um, And they soon rapidly expanded, primarily through the Victorian missionary networks across the British Empire, throughout Asia and Africa, in what was called by them at the time the civilising missions of spreading Christianity. But also within the UK, they did a lot of work trying to support the health and well-being of um, working class men. It had always existed as an ecumenical organisation. So it worked, it was a Christian organisation, but it worked outside of the church structures and in collaboration with lots of different denominations. So prior to the First World War, this was largely the different non-conformist churches. That grew very much during the First World War. Their audience hugely expanded because of their war work. War breaks out in August 1914. How did the YMCA greet this event? So the YMCA were already working working with the army in a very small scale. After the Second Boer War, they started some work in the territorial training camp, um, just providing basic refreshment huts on camp. So they were already doing that work in the summer. But they, their initial response was to rapidly expand this work, quickly developing recreational centres throughout all of the British base camps. They rented out halls, put up marquees to be there for soldiers. And as a Christian organisation, there were debates of whether they should support the war or whether they should take a pacifist approach and oppose it, 
particularly because there's a large Methodist influence within them. But the decision that they came to, and they came to very quickly, was that as it was a non-combatant organisation and they worked to support soldiers with a Christian perspective and to spread the Christian message, that this wasn't inconsistent with teachings on war. So very quickly they threw themselves into support for soldiers throughout the British Army. And what sort of work did they do during the Great War? So primarily the YMC's work took the form of a hut programme. They provided either wooden huts or temporary marquees or they rented out premises where they could provide a tea canteen. There were spaces for soldiers to write letters and play board games. There were also concert venues, cinemas. So it was a space where soldiers, it was depicted as a space where soldiers could have their home away from home and was very much a place of comfort and relaxation. So the YMCA's motto um, during the war was mind, body and spirit. And these are the three areas that they sought to really work on and support with soldiers. So the, the YMCA's basic motto was mind, body and spirit. And these are the three areas that they tried to support with soldiers through, especially through the re- through rest camps and in the bases, providing comfort, recreation, education for them. Did they get involved in sort of put, putting on games um organised leisure activities or were they primarily providing canteens, obviously dry canteens? Yes. So they provided all manner of entertainments, really. There were the canteens where they could get free tea and coffee. There were cheap cakes and chocolates and free c- and penny packs of cigarettes. But also they would put on sporting events. There were lots of cricket competitions, particularly with the Australian soldiers, football games, as well as board games and boxing. And there were libraries and sort of all manner of um, recreational activities. And I assume that they took a very um, tough line on alcohol. Yes. So this is an area of debate in the initial year of the war, that the YMT had always been a teetotal organisation. It was always seen as an alternative to the pub, especially in British cities. But there was a debate in the organisation about whether they should permit alcohol at war so as to encourage more soldiers to come and use their facilities. But it was agreed by the National Committee that this was inconsistent with the YMCA's principles as an organisation that supported the morals of young men. And alcohol was very much seen as unacceptable to large number of the, um, the YMCA's leaders. And so there were, during the war, infractions to this. There's one that I always find quite exciting. At the Leal Gate YMCA in Ypres, Dr McGrath, who won, who ran the centre there, he made what he called the Wipers Cocktail, which is a mixture of rum and moat water, which sounds disgusting. But that was one instance of alcohol being served. But on the whole, it was very much prohibited. And were the activities of the YMCA just restricted to the Western Front or did they cross all theatres of war? Um, not at all. So the, the YMCA sought to operate everywhere where the British Army uh, operated. So in the initial months of the war, it was very much in the base camps, both in Britain as well as in the Dominions. They had a large amount of work going on, especially in Australia, but also in Canada and elsewhere. Within the first six months of the war, they were given permission to go over to the Western Front. um, And then very quickly they followed with setting up a large network in Egypt. And by mid-1915, they were serving very much wherever the British Army were. There's a few particularly interesting ones that William Jessup, um, who was the regional secretary for Egypt, he set up the Azbikia Gardens in Cairo, which were deliberately positioned next to the red light district as sort of the moral alternative for soldiers. Um, And that included a skating rink and a cinema. And that very much was the heart of the Australians who were based in Egypt in 1915. And then once those men went over to Gallipoli, 
they were again greeted by the YMCA, who ran three huts on the peninsula, all at risk of shell fire. One of them was destroyed. But the YMCA saw it as their duty to serve wherever the British Army were. How did soldiers regard its activities and efforts? So this is sort of the most difficult area of my research to pin down, really. There is widespread support for the YMCA. There were letters written in the Times. There was praise coming from the the Army High Command, all of the good work that the YMCA were doing. But it's very difficult to get a sort of an on-the-ground idea of how soldiers regarded the YMCA. The YMCA was popular. They were well-received in a lot of places. But it's very difficult to kind of tease out where soldiers didn't like the YMCA and whether that was just because they didn't like religion or they didn't like the services it provided or they didn't like that it was only tea and coffee. It was kind of, it's very difficult to kind of get the nuances, I think, of how soldiers on the ground were seeing it. But on the whole, most soldiers used the YMCA at some point. So it was a great benefit to a lot of them. And did the organisation cater for soldiers of all faiths? Yes. So that's one of the big parts of the YMCA, is that although it's a Christian organisation, and it was always Christianity was the primary focus and concern, they very much wanted to cater for soldiers of all faiths and all backgrounds. So they were committedly non-proselytising, and that was a real mission statement that they repeated throughout the war, that they weren't out necessarily to convert people to Christianity. And very much they worked with Jewish soldiers and Muslim soldiers to facilitate their needs as well. So the Rabbi Michael Adler, who was the Jewish chaplain to the British Army on the Western Front, he was hugely praising of the YMCA's work throughout the war and the way that they welcomed Jewish soldiers into their daily activities, but also gave them the hut space for for their services as well as for those of Christians. So what impact did the YMCA actually have on soldier morale and resilience, if that's at all possible to glean from the evidence? Yes, this is another kind of challenge them wrestling with really it was reported that whenever the ymca opened a hut in a rest town in france that crime rates would fall by a half within a few weeks which is something of an outlandish claim but i think it kind of is representative of the way the ymca was seen as a force for good which provided distractions from crime and vice and kind of the boredom that soldiers suffered when they weren't actually actively engaged but i think the main um, benefit that the YMCA had was it was that home-like space for soldiers that they could go there with their friends to enjoy a concert or for a cup of tea or they could also go alone and write a letter to their family and it's very much a familiar presence and the YMCA had this idea of the hut habit that would support a soldier from their time on a training camp right through to the front and I think it's that kind of consistency that really had the biggest impact on soldiers morale especially away from the western front where they were in what they always describe as alien lands and things that are so unfamiliar there was that consistent thread that was always there to support and comfort them. And did they work in POW camps in Germany or were they mainly behind the lines? Uh, They didn't. They didn't work in the POW camps, which is somewhat unfortunate. It would have been nice if they had. Um, But that was very much, that was dealt with by the Red Cross and then the YMCA worked behind the lines. And did they cooperate with other sort of Christian or social organisations in providing uh, care for soldiers or was there a degree of competition? The YMCA are the biggest organisation providing this sort of care, but there's also the church army that were run by the Church of England and the Salvation Army who were providing very similar huts and they were also on a very much a smaller scale there were Catholic soldiers clubs as well and the YMCA know that they're in the dominant position and they are very keen to stress that they're not in competition with the other organisations and they set about a dialogue with those leaders so that they can together provide the biggest network of support for soldiers possible rather than competing with them. Um, the Church Army 
in particular work very closely with the YMCA and they have conversations of whether they should turn all their huts over to the YMCA and just support it as one organisation, which they decide that they want to keep the Church of England character of the Church Army Huts. But they are very much seen as singing from the same hymn sheet and working together on the same mission. And how did the YMCA staff its canteens in France? Obviously, it couldn't use able-bodied men. So who actually did dole out the tea and actually care for the soldiers behind the lines? So they had a policy that no man who was eligible to fight was allowed to work in the YMCA. There were some conscientious objectors that did, but primarily it was older men or men with minor disabilities, sort of eyesight problems, or it was clergy who were exempt from service. 40% of the staff on the West Front were also women. Um, so they had a very active role in running the YMCA huts as drivers of the resources for the YMCA. And there were women who also work in the Middle East for the organisation. So it's aside from nursing, it's one of the most involved roles that women could have during the First World War, which I find really quite interesting. Did they have a large fundraising effort actually on the home front at all to support a lot of these sort of activities in, in the in the in the theatres of war? Yes. So there's continual campaigns and national drives published in the newspapers calling for money. And a lot of that's done through the Women's Auxiliary Committee, which had backing from Douglas Haig's wife, from Princess Helena. There was a lot of kind of aristocratic backing for the YMCA, but also a lot of local campaigns as well. So a lot of the huts are named after local towns or organisations. Um, the scouting movement have huts um, that they fundraise for. Um, so a hut at the start of the war was expected to cost £300 um, for the hut and its and its resources. Um, later that rises to £450 um, but there are lots of YMCA drives locally as well as nationally to raise these pots of money for the different huts. Did the YMCA um, staff and personnel who staffed across these canteens behind lines actually suffer um, death and injury through war? Yes, yes. So there's a number of YMCA personnel on the Western Front who were sadly killed. One of them is the Reverend Alfred Wilcox, who ran the hut at Renninghelst, just south of Ypres. Um, and he was killed in late 1917 when a high explosive shell landed in his hut he was the only one present it was late at night but he was killed in the hut that he served in there's also betty stevenson who was a driver for the ymca she was killed in 1918 um, and is buried at etapel also from shellfire did the ymca actually have any contact with chinese or indian laborers at all uh, during the, the war yes so they ran separate programs for the indian and the chinese labor corps and especially during the immediate months after the war, they put over a lot of the um, huts on the Western Front to the Chinese Labour Corps, and they had educational programmes with them to help them learn English. And it's very much done in that Edwardian paternalistic way, but they did see that it was their job to sort of help educate these labourers, as well as providing them with the refreshments. What is interesting there, though, is that they do take a step back from the religious side of it, that there isn't so much religious teaching. It's still very much done with its Christian ethos, but there isn't so much religious teaching that they try to do there. And my penultimate question is the one I'm afraid we, we can't avoid asking, is does the song by the village people, which is obviously YMCA, help or hinder your studies? Uh, um, it seems to haunt my life, that song. Um, I think in a way it helps because everyone has at least heard of the YMCA but also everyone does do the dance moves at me whenever I talk about my research. And finally, Catherine, where can people learn more about your research? I write a history blog, um, which is catherineshistoryblog.com. 
Um, or you can find me on Twitter, um, which is CatherineWW1, where I try and post about my research and what I'm reading. And I'm also very happy to answer anyone's questions they might have. Catherine, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.